We're going through the Sermon on the Mount, asking this question each week, what does life look like if Jesus is our King? And today we get to talk about a subject that's not something that we normally talk about in the United States. We get to talk about fasting. Um, And and fasting, if you don't know, fasting uh, refers to a set period of time where you abstain from food. So either for a meal or for a day, for a set period of time, you say, I'm not going to eat during this period of time. Now, some of you may recognize that there's a little bit of irony that we're talking about fasting today. And that's that you may have noticed on the way in, we have one of our summer pop-ups going on. Anybody notice what our summer pop-up is? Yeah, we're serving ice cream. In fact, somebody told me that it's National Ice Cream Day. Is there a holiday for everything now? Um, But anyway, so some of you might be like, we're talking about fasting, then then we're going to go eat ice cream. Yeah, that's how it fell. So here's what we're going to do. In the last couple weeks, we've talked about prayer and what we've done at the end of the service. Gary did this, and then I did this. We left some time at the end of the service for us to pray right there. So today, before we head out to eat ice cream, we're going to take the last five minutes of the church service, and we're going to fast. (laughs) Once we're done fasting, we'll all go eat ice cream. (laughs) But... But it's odd talking about fasting. So this comes in a large section. If you, right now, it'll be a few minutes until we read through the passage. But if you want to go there now, it's in um, Matthew chapter 6. We'll go through verses 16 through 18. But today ends kind of a a distinct section of the Sermon on the Mount. And that's verses 1 through 18 of chapter 6. And Jesus begins this in verse 1 by saying, don't do your acts of righteousness or sort of don't do your religious activities so that other people will see you and notice you and reward you. And then he talks about it in three ways. He says, with giving, don't go and sound the trumpet so that everybody sees that you gave. Um, with praying, don't go and pray loudly and elaborately on the street corners, just, just pray in secret. And now he talks about it with fasting. So giving, praying, and fasting. But for us, all of these activities don't have the same frequency in our lives. Like if I were to ask you, just think of the last month, how many of you in this room have prayed at some point during the last month? All right, it was a trick question. You shouldn't have raised your hands. You just lost your reward. You should have kept it secret. No, I'm kidding, of course. You should have seen that coming. Uh, but, but we think of praying, you know, Jesus says, when you pray, and we think, all right, maybe I don't pray as much as I'd like to pray, but, but I pray. Um, and, and if I was to ask the question with giving, maybe not as many hands, but if I said, within the last month, how many of you have given charitably in some way to an individual or the church or a group, a lot of your hands would go up. We may look at giving and say, well, I don't give as much as I should, but I give. I don't pray as much as I should, but I do pray. We think about fasting. If I was to ask, when was the the last time or within the last month, how many of us have fasted? It would be a lot less of us. This is not a normal part of American life. And yet when Jesus begins this passage in chapter six, and hey guys, uh, the slides still aren't turned over to the sermon slides, but when Jesus begins this passage in Matthew chapter six, verse 16, the way he begins it is by saying, when you fast. And this is the same way that he talks about the praying and the giving. He says, when you pray, when you give, and then he says, when you fast, making the assumption that fasting is just going to be a normal part of following King Jesus. If we're going to treat Jesus as our king, we can't do that without giving financially. And if we're going to treat Jesus as our king, we can't do that without praying. And Jesus just assumes fasting will be part of what our lives look like 
if we're following King Jesus. And while for us, fasting is not for most of us a normal normal part of our lives, for, for the Jews it was. It was just a normal part of their routine. In fact, there's a passage. Jesus tells a parable in, um, in Luke chapter 18, and it's the, par- uh, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector that go to the temple and they both pray. And some of you are familiar with this prayer. And the Pharisee prays in a very self-aggrandizing way. And one of the many things that he says about how great he is, is he says, I fast twice a week. And Jesus didn't just pull that out of the air. That was the normal practice of the Jews during this time that Jesus is, right, uh, that Jesus is speaking, um, that on Mondays and Thursdays, the Jews fasted. And so what that would mean is, is for example, if they were going to fast on Monday, that would mean Sunday night, they would eat dinner, and then they wouldn't eat again until Monday dinner. So they'd skip breakfast and lunch and any other snacks that they might have in between then. And then they'd do the same with that on Thursday. So fasting was a normal part of their lives on a weekly basis. It was also a normal part of their lives on an annual basis because on the Day of Atonement, one of the high Jewish holidays, the whole nation would fast in recognition of the fact that they recognized that they had sin and that God needed to provide for that sin. But then there are other times, if you read the Old Testament, this idea of fasting comes up frequently. And and for those of us that aren't familiar with why we would fast, when you look at the common thread through the different times that the people of Israel fasted, the common thread had to do with the idea of mourning. Some kind of grief or some kind of recognition of something. So sometimes it was real straightforward. Like in 2 Samuel chapter 1, the nation of Israel mourns, they fast because King Saul has died. So there's a death, there's a tragedy, and they fast in response to that tragedy. But there are other times that the people people of Israel or or other people would fast, and, and it wouldn't just be because something bad happened, it would be because they recognized the sin within their own people. And they said, we want to fast in grief over our sin and at the same time ask God to forgive us. So you see this in the book of Jonah. If you know the story of Jonah, he goes to the people of Nineveh, a foreign people. He tells them all, judgment is coming to you because of your wickedness. And the people respond and they repent. And when they repent, they proclaim, we are all going to fast. We are all not going to eat for a set amount of time. And when they do this, they say, who knows Maybe God will show us mercy. And so the idea is we are grieving over our sin and we're grieving so much that we're going to show God we're serious, that that we're not just saying to God, hey, we're sorry about that. We're saying we are so grieved over our sin that we're not going to eat to show how grieved we are. And what we're also doing is we're asking God to do something. We're asking God to show us forgiveness. We're asking God to show us mercy. You see, Daniel also do this. In in Daniel chapter 9, verse 3, he's grieved over the nation and he fasts in behalf of the people of Israel. And then there's another sense that's connected that sometimes you see people fast because they're grieved over a situation that the Israelites found themselves in. And this is what happens in the book of Esther, if you know the story, um, that there's a plot uh, for, uh, that there's a genocidal plot against the Jews. By the way, not the only time that this has happened to the Jewish people in their history. This seems to happen over and over again. There's a genocidal plan, uh, plot against the Jews, and uh, the, uh, Esther, who's the queen of Persia at that time, and she's Jewish, her cousin comes to her and says, you need to do something, you need to go to the king and try to get the king to to." to um, retract this so that the Jews aren't in danger and Esther is afraid to do this because she's not allowed to technically and so she's taking her life into her own hands. So she says to her cousin, have all the Jews 
fast for three days and then I'll go do this. And the fasting is clearly, on the one hand, to say we are in grief over our perilous situation and then we are also beseeching God to do something about it. Fasting surrounds the idea of grief and mourning. But you might look at all of that and say, well, all right, but all of those are Old Testament passages. Is this another one of those things where it was just an Old Testament practice, but now that Jesus has come and we're on this side of Jesus, that we don't do that anymore? And powerfully enough, there's a time that Jesus was asked about the subject of fasting. And I know right now I'm, I'm taking some extra time on the front end here. We are going to go through the verses. It's just three of them, but we are going to go through the verses eventually. But I want to take some time on the front end so that we know what we're talking about when Jesus instructs us about fasting. So if you did open up um, to Matthew chapter 6, you can just flip a page probably and you'll be in Matthew 9. And in Matthew 9 verse 14, it says, Then John's disciples, this is the disciples of John the Baptist, Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? So the basic idea here, the the disciples of John the Baptist are saying, Hey, we, we do the Monday, Thursday thing. The Pharisees do the Monday, Thursday thing. This is normal, but they've observed that Jesus' disciples are not practicing that during this time. So they say, why is it that we're fasting as all Jews are and your disciples aren't? And in verse 15, Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? Now, I'll read the second part in a second, but I just want us to take in for a second how audacious what Jesus says here is. There are people that that say, well, you've misread the Bible. Jesus isn't claiming to be divine. He's just a teacher. He's just trying to instruct us. He's just giving us a moral code or spiritual guidance. Listen to what Jesus just said. And when he says the guests of the bridegroom, he may be talking about the wedding guests, but more likely he's talking about the groomsmen. He's talking about the attendants. So Jesus, in essence, says is, why would the groomsmen grieve while the groom is right there? What Jesus is saying is, Why would anybody mourn while I'm around? Why would anybody be sad while I'm here? Jesus said back in chapter 5 of Matthew that he is the fulfillment of the law. In other words, Jesus is saying everything in the Old Testament all built up and culminated in the moment that I am here right now. Jesus says, why would anybody fast when I'm here? If Jesus is not the son of God, he is incredibly full of himself. He says, why would the attendants, why would the guests grieve? Why would they fast while the groom is with them? And then he says, the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. And this is the part that's very instructive for us today. That Jesus says, yeah, they're not grieving right now. I'm here. Why would they grieve? The longing, everything that they've ever longed for is become a reality. I'm right here with them. God with us. He says, there's going to be a time when I'm going to be taken. And of course, that first happened when he was arrested and then he was taken off and crucified. But after his crucifixion and after his resurrection, he ascended to heaven. Now, God is with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. But what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8 is that even though we have the Holy Spirit, we are still groaning for the day that everything is fixed and that our reunion with God comes into the full. 
Jesus says, there's going to be a time when I'm going to be gone. And when I'm gone, they're going to miss me. And because they miss me, they're going to fast. What Jesus is saying is not only that fasting is a normal part of following him, but that fasting is a sign of our hunger for him. And this is why the the whole idea of fasting is such a powerful symbol. It's such a powerful sign that we need food to eat. We get hungry because our body is telling us, you need food or you will die. We are hungry. And ultimately, metaphorically, we are hungry for Jesus. We need God. And without God, we will spiritually wither and die. And when we fast... It's a way of us, very real way of us saying to Jesus, I want you even more than I want food. I'm more hungry for you than I am for my next meal. And I want to just take that in for a minute. Think of this whole idea of being hungry for Jesus. Now, for starters, one of the ways that we're all hungry for Jesus, whether you know it or not, is we're all hungry for Jesus to return and to fix the world. This is our hope. Our hope is that when Jesus returns, he's going to bring final justice. He's going to be the great king on the throne. He's going to eradicate disease and he's going to eradicate suffering. Everything will be fixed when Jesus gets back. So you may even be thinking about things that you're facing in your life. And maybe you're sick or you know somebody who's sick or you know somebody who's injured in some way and their body is breaking down. That's an opportunity when you see that happening for you to say, I long for Jesus. I'm hungry for Jesus because when he comes back, he's going to fix this. Or you're looking at things in the world and you're troubled over injustice and you're troubled over the fact that even when we we do our best as a society to get justice right, it's just a faint image of what it could really be. You say, gosh, I, I long for a time when everything is fixed and when there's no more suffering in the world, you're longing for Jesus. You're hungry for Jesus. But it's not even just on a grand level. It's also on a personal level. And when Jesus is saying, the guests are going to mourn when I'm gone, he's saying that not just because we see Jesus as as a figurehead who's going to fix the world, but because they knew him personally and they loved him. The first person that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection was Mary Magdalene. And the appearance is so powerful. It's this beautiful thing where she's come to the tomb and she realizes that the body's not there and she's deeply disturbed, which which shows how much she loved him. She didn't just see him as a figurehead because if she saw him just as a figurehead, hey, he's dead, the story's over, who cares what happens to the body? But she loved him and she was troubled over the fact that she thought the tomb had been desecrated. So she's at the tomb crying, and then she starts interacting with Jesus, but she doesn't know that it's him. She thinks that it's a gardener. She's saying, just show me where the body is, and I'll go and get it. And then Jesus reveals his identity. And just think, Jesus could have revealed his identity by saying, here I am. But he revealed his identity with one word. And the one word was Mary. He said her name. And you know why he could say her name? Because he knew her name. And he knew her. And she knew him. Just think, sometimes you're going to say, you know what, maybe I should fast. Maybe I should fast for a day because I just, I'm hungry for Jesus to come back and fix things. 
But sometimes you might say, you know what, I think I should take a day and I should just fast because I'm just hungry to be with Jesus. I'm hungry for him because he died for my sins, because he made me promises, because I've seen times in my life where where he's rescued me and when he didn't need to do any of that. I, I, I want to long for him because he sent his spirit. Fasting is a way for us building our hunger for Jesus. And this is important. Some of you, some of you will relate to this, but something that my mom said all the time when I was growing up to me and my sister and brother is she said, don't eat that, you'll ruin your appetite. I'm not the only one. Which is funny as a kid, because as a kid, it's like, don't eat that candy because then you won't have room in your stomach for your meat and vegetables. And you're like, I'll take that trade. That's okay. But as an adult, you begin to recognize the wisdom of that. You, you know what kinds of foods that you need. And, and also you have experiences where you say, I don't want to miss out on how good that meal is. Like, like we, we don't do this often, but Karina and I saved up. And for our anniversary this year, we went to Fleming's, which is, oh man. Yeah, some of you, you're, you're hungry right now. Um, it was just, it was really, really fun. So it's a steakhouse. It's, it's my favorite place to go. I, I knew best meal of the year is coming tonight. I'm going to get a steak at Fleming's. It's going to be fantastic. If I had just eaten chips all day leading up to that, I would have kept myself from the enjoyment of that steak. I would have taken something very convenient and very easy and something even that I like, but I would have robbed myself of the enjoyment of the great meal. We have opportunities all the time in our lives to distract ourselves or to try to fill ourselves up with with different things that will distract us from the fact that we're longing. So we say, oh, I'm going to fill myself up um, but with entertainment. I'm going to fill myself up with, um, with food and with drink, and I'm going to fill myself up with, um, with trying to feel good about myself and so getting accolades from other people. I'm going to fill myself up by feeling the accomplishments of my work. Fasting is a way of us saying, you know what? I'm going to specifically make myself hungry. And if you're like me, you almost have to go through this process in your mind whenever I'm fasting, which I hadn't done in a while, and I knew this message was coming up, and I was like, all right, it's time to Get this back into the routine. Um, But this is what happened, like all all day while I was fasting. Um, The first thought that I would have is, um, I feel really uncomfortable. Because when you fast, usually you feel uncomfortable physically. And I was like, why do I feel uncomfortable? And I'd say, oh, I feel uncomfortable because I haven't eaten in a long time. I'd say, why haven't I eaten in a long time? This is literally what I have to do in my head. Like, I haven't eaten in a long time because I'm fasting. I was like, well, why am I fasting? I'm fasting because I want to cultivate my hunger for Jesus. And then for the rest of the day, every time I felt that physical hunger, it was an opportunity for me to go to God in prayer, for me to remember who Jesus is in my life and cultivate that longing. This is the entire purpose of fasting, that we as Christians would build our hunger for Jesus. And now we're going to look at the passage. And again, it's, it's pretty straightforward. It follows the same pattern that, that the rest of this passage has. Jesus says, there's a wrong way to do fasting and there's a right way to do fasting. The wrong way to do fasting is to do it in a way that's showy, that makes sure people know that you're fasting. And the right way to do fasting is to do it in secret so that people don't know that you're fasting. And we'll walk through these three verses. But the way that he starts it is he says, all right, showy fasting is self-defeating. It defeats the entire purpose for why you would do this. So he says in verse 16, when you fast, 
Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So Jesus says, all right, once again, when you fast, not if you fast, you're going to fast. So when you fast, don't look somber like the hypocrites. And then he says, for they disfigure their faces. And John Stott in his commentary talks about this and he says, the word translated disfigure means literally to make to disappear. And so to render invisible or unrecognizable. So then he says, for for those that did this, they may have neglected personal hygiene or covered their heads with sackcloth or perhaps smeared their faces with ashes in order to look pale, wan, melancholy, and I love this, and so outstandingly holy. All so that their fasting might be seen and known by everybody. So Jesus says, all right, option number one when you fast is to fast in a way that people are going to find out that you're fasting. So, you know, if you're a man, you don't shave in the morning, you don't do your hair, you just kind of throw on baggy clothes and you're staggering around and people are wondering, what's going on with you? And you're like, oh, I'm I'm fasting for Jesus um, today. (laughs) There's a way to do this that people are going to find out, even if you don't overtly tell them. And, and, and then there's a way of just overtly telling people, oh yeah, here, today is my fast day. Now, now here's the deal. Here's the difference. Fasting is a specific thing when you say, I'm going to deprive myself of food. And some people extend it to, to other things, but primarily I'm going to deprive myself of food to cultivate this longing for Jesus. There are other times. Some of you have gone through or are going through things where, where you're trying to lose weight. Um, and you know, you go on social media and you announce it and you say, hey, like I'm down 40 pounds since the the beginning of the year, that's fine. And if you're doing that to say, I want to get encouragement, that's fine. First of all, because you're not getting eternal rewards for losing some weight. That's not what's happening there. You're doing it for the sake of encouragement. You're saying, "Ah, I'm doing this and it will really help me to keep going if I get encouragement. So I'm going to look for encouragement. Or some of you are, are seeking sobriety. You've had drinking problems. And so you're pursuing sobriety and you get to a year and you say, I'm a year sober. And you announce it to the world. That's great. Take all the encouragement that you can get. This is something that's different because this is something that you're doing not to get accolades from others, not even to get encouragement from others, but specifically to cultivate your longing for God. And Jesus says, if you do it, and if you do it in a way that people know you're doing it, that's your reward. Your reward is that they look at you and say, look how godly she is. I could never do that. She's gone without food since breakfast. I could never do that. If we are looking for that, or if you're looking to post on social media about it or talk to other people, all right, that's your reward. However however many likes, however many clicks, however many comments, however many that-a-boys, that-a-girls that you get, that's the reward for showy fasting. But Jesus says, now I'm going to tell you the right way to fast. The right way to fast is secret fasting. And showy fasting is self-defeating. It defeats the entire purpose. Because if your focus of why you would fast is because you want to long more deeply for Jesus, and then you do it in a way that's getting you accolades, it's distracting you from the true purpose. Secret fasting is focused on God. Now, I'll, I'll just say this before reading the verses. Um, Jesus says, you know, give Give in secret and pray in secret and fast in secret. I I don't believe that that it's fair to say that he's saying there would never be a time that anybody would know you're doing these things. 
clear that there's private prayer and then there's public prayer. And even with giving, there are times in Scripture that there, that there was sort of public giving. It's not saying you should never, ever fast and have everybody, anybody else know about it. I mean, the Israelites fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. They pretty well knew what was going on with each other. But Jesus is saying there should be times when you give and nobody knows that you've given. Maybe it's not even going to show up on whatever, that 1099 at the end of the year. You're not even going to get tax credit for it. Nobody knows that you've done it. There should be times that you pray and nobody knows that you're praying. You're, you're not getting credit. You're not looking spiritual in front of other people. There may, amen, all right. There may be times that you fast and you're doing it as a group. Maybe there's somebody who's sick and they're about to have a surgery. And so a group of you says, you know, we're all going to fast and pray during the, the time of the surgery. People know that you're fasting. That's okay. There should be times that you fast and nobody knows except God. And that's what he says in verse 17. He says, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. Now, this is just drawing a contrast from what he said before, those who disfigure their faces. When he says, put oil on your head, he's basically saying, do your hair. When he says, wash your face, he's just saying, clean yourself up. Jesus says, go through your normal regimen of hygiene when you fast. And he tells us why you should do this. You should do this so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting. And I love this because it's maybe about the only time in the Bible that this dynamic happens. That Jesus says, when you fast, trick people. Trick them into thinking everything's normal. Now, some of you have been in this situation. I've, I've had this happen before um, where you're fasting and, uh, and then you start finding yourself in situations where people keep offering you food. Like have a little bit of this. And at first you start off and you're just like, oh, no, thanks. But then they're harping on you. Like, why aren't you eating this? What's going on? Do you not like me? Do you not like my food? Sometimes you just have to fess up and say, I, I'm sorry. I, it's, it's not you. I'm fasting today. Yet you haven't ruined anything. Sometimes that's just politeness. But Jesus says, fast in a way that you're tricking everybody else, that they have no idea what's going on. It's like just between you and God. And, and part of the reason why I love this is that one of the greatest things that bonds us to another person is when you have a secret with them. When you know I'm in on this, you're in on this, nobody else knows what's going on. When you're throwing somebody a secret party and there's just a few of you that know about it and you're just kind of licking your jaws and you're like, this is going to be so great. We know what's happening. Others don't know what's happening. Jesus says, when you fast, it's great. Nobody else has any idea what's going on. You're having this connection with God and people are oblivious to it. They just think it's a normal day. But for you, you are cultivating your hunger for God. So put oil on here. Don't stagger around. Try to make it so that people don't know. This is going on so that others, so it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but the only one it would be obvious to is to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The only one who knows what's happening, at least sometimes when we fast, is our father. He's the only one who can reward us and he does reward us. And this whole idea of reward, this has come up to, throughout this extended period, to, throughout verses 1 through 18. It's going to come up again next week when we go through verses 19 through 24. Um, so, so let's just spend a few minutes on it because you might be thinking, now that's weird. Uh, aren't we supposed to do these things um, j just to get close to God or just to obey God? Are we really supposed to do these things for rewards? Isn't that kind of mercenary? I think part of the key to understanding why it's not just mercenary is that we understand the nature of the rewards. 
Now, the whole idea of, of rewards from God, it, it's, it's a big category. It could involve a whole bunch of stuff. It could involve stuff that happens right now, um, but sometimes it involves stuff that happens in the, in the far future. Sometimes the rewards are, are called eternal rewards. They're rewards that we get in the afterlife. When Jesus comes back and when he establishes his rule and when we have a new earth, there's going to be some people that are given positions of authority, positions of rulership, and that will be specifically as rewards for things that they did here on earth. There are several passages in the New Testament that talk about crowns, and, and it's not always clear, are these, are these literal crowns or are these just metaphorical crowns? But the idea is there are going to be rewards, and not everybody gets exactly the same reward. There, there's levels of rewards, which some of you might be thinking, well, then if I didn't get the rewards, I'd be on the new earth, I'd be in heaven, and I'd be like, well, this is really lame. Other people got better rewards than me. And I just want to tell you, it will not be lame. You will be okay with it. We are going to be in the presence of the God of the universe. All of our desires are going to be fulfilled. You will not have a raw deal, even if somebody is rewarded more lavishly than you are. But sometimes the reward is, all right, God's going to do something. I don't even know what it's going to be, but, but I will be compensated. I'll be glad that I did this. But I think at a most fundamental level, what's going on here is that the reward is something that's right in keeping with why we're doing this. So go back to what we were talking about. All right, so if you're going to fast, the reason that you're going to fast is you want to cultivate your longing for Jesus. You want to say, you know what? I'm, I'm hungry. And ultimately, I'm not hungry for fame or for money. U ultimately, I know at the end of the day, I'm hungry for Jesus. I'm hungry to experience his presence. I'm hungry to hear his voice in my life. I I'm hungry to be more confident of his promises. I I I'm hungry to walk with Jesus and know that he's with me. And just think for a second, if that's what you're after, what would be the greatest way that God could reward you for fasting? it would be to give you the gift of experiencing his presence in a more real way. I think this is probably what Jesus is saying here. I think the main way that God is going to reward us is if we go and we say, you know what, I, I, I want to get rid of all the distractions and I want to make sure I cultivate the fact that God, only you can fulfill my desires. Only Jesus can fulfill my desires. And I want to be with him. I want to walk with him. I want to know him. I want to have confidence about his, his guidance in my life. I want all of that. The greatest way that God could reward you is he could say, I'm going to give you exactly what you want. I'm going to give you the gift of having a greater experience of closeness with Jesus. You're going to hear his voice more clearly through the Holy Spirit. You're going to find yourself more confident of the promises that he's made you. You're going to have more times that I'm just going to remind you through the power of the Holy Spirit of what he's done for you and your affection is going to grow. Most likely, the way that God is going to reward us is by giving us what we're after. God doesn't say, well, you're fasting because you want Jesus, so here's a car. He says, you're fasting because you want Jesus, here's what you get. You get greater closeness with Jesus. In other words, this whole passage and this whole idea of fasting is saying that when we fast, we deprive ourselves in order to remind ourselves. And I'll just say for a minute, you know, when we do this, when we talked about prayer the last couple of weeks, obviously, we, we all as, as people want to pause and say, all right, what's going on in my prayer life? What are the habits I want to set in motion? And I want to choose specific times to set aside so that I'm praying, or I want to set a specific budget item aside so that I'm giving. Part of my encouragement to you with this is to say, you know what? Look at your routines and make fasting a part of them. 
And for some of you, the, some of you may be dealing with health issues that you say, I, I really can't do this or I can't do this for long. That's okay. In that case, I would say, try to find some other way in the spirit of this idea to foster this. But for most of us, even though we don't normally do this, we can do this. We can say, you know what? Once a week, I'm going to just skip lunch and I, and I won't eat from breakfast until dinner. Or, or maybe you're ready to do a little bit more than that. Or maybe you say, you know, uh, one, one day a month, um, I'm just going to fast for the entire day, for the whole 24-hour day, um, and, and just to give myself a, an opportunity to focus. I want to encourage you, just as I would encourage you, find ways to set aside time for prayer, find money to set aside for giving, find a way to order your schedule around making fasting a part of your life, because it's hard to think of a greater way to build that hunger for Jesus that we all need. Um, I'll give you just one more illustration before we, we're, we're going to get to do communion in a little while, but I'll give you just one more illustration. So when Karina and I were engaged, about a month and a half before we got married, I, was living in, uh, I moved into the apartment that we were going to live in after we were married. And uh, I'd been, the whole year I'd been sleeping on an air mattress, which, if you know me well, surprises no one. Um, because I was just, that was the easiest way to do things, and so I'd slept on an air mattress. And then, um, a, a few weeks before our wedding, our bed arrived, and I got the bed all set up in the bedroom. And I found myself just having this weird thought, saying, well, the bed is obviously going to be more comfortable than this air mattress. But I sort of didn't feel like I wanted to go sleep on it. And Karina hadn't told me, don't sleep on the bed until I get the, you know, like, it, there hadn't been anything like that. But, you know, we hadn't slept together. This was, this was going to be something. It's, it's hard to think of, a, within marriage, a symbol of the unity that, that's more powerful than the idea of when we go to sleep, we go to sleep next to each other each night. And so for the rest of that month, I just felt like, you know what? I want to save this for when she arrives. I want to save this for after our honeymoon, when we come back here, and that the first time anybody sleeps on this bed, we'll be sleeping on this bed together. And so for, and I'm not trying to make a martyr out of myself. It wasn't that big a deal. I'd been sleeping on this air mattress for a long time. But each night when I went to sleep on that air mattress, it was a tangible way of me cultivating my longing for when we were going to be married. For me saying, this is something that I want to long for and not take for granted. When we fast, it's a way of us saying, food isn't bad. Food isn't evil. We're not abstaining from food because it's sinful. But we're saying, I want my longing for Jesus to be even greater. And so anything that I can do to set that apart I'm going to do. I think it's appropriate that we get to celebrate and and we get to observe communion today. In fact, if you're helping with communion, you can head to the back and and get set up for what we're going to do. But communion is a symbol that Jesus gave us that involves food. It involves eating and drinking. And it relates to many things. But Jesus made the statement in John chapter 6 when he said, I am the bread of life. And the idea is we need food to live We need Jesus if we're going to have any kind of spiritual life. We only have spiritual life because Jesus died for us and forgave our sins. We only have spiritual life because Jesus gave his life so that we would live through him. And when we take communion, we remind ourselves that we live only because of him. We eat and we drink and we remind ourselves that Jesus is our sustenance and we only have a connection with God because of him. So as we get ready to partake, take this as a time to think about your lives, to think about anything that you need to confess, to to get ready to celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus. 
but also take this as a time to remember that your real provision, your real food, your real sustenance comes from God alone. So let's pray right now as we prepare. Father, thank you so much that you have given us grace in Jesus. Thank you that you have given us the opportunity one day truly to be full. And we long for that. We're hungry for the end of suffering. We're hungry for the end of disease. We're hungry for the end of injustice. And Father, we're hungry to be with Jesus because we love him. Cultivate in us that longing. Keep us from being distracted by temporary things. And as we take communion, remind us of the price that was paid to fulfill our deepest longing. In Jesus' name, amen.